Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. So welcome to another edition of the First New Battalion Chief. And tonight, as usual, I have Tony. Tony Carroll, Eric Petaway from Boston. Tony from, I like to say you're from D.C. I don't know. That's just, fine. That's fine. I can't get away from that. You know, I got a D.C. shirt on for you. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> get the whole East Coast, the cellar. D.C., New York to Boston. So, so I don't know if I told you guys, but I haven't been full duty for a while. I, I'm actually on light duty right now. And if you notice when I hesitate in my breathing, I, uh, I'm, I've been diagnosed with some kind of uh, larynx problem. So that's why uh, my breathing is not the way it should be. So anyway, so it's a little difficulty now. I'm getting further and further away from the firehouse. But um, right now I'm working in uh, research and development. And there's a few projects I want to do before I retire. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there's something I want to talk about. Because I want something I want to initiate that um, I haven't even brought it really to the attention of anyone in the FDNY. The first project that I'm doing, and it's kind of like localized to New York. I mean, I don't know if most cities could really uh, say they would have these kind of issues. But the first one is historically, I think Eric would be familiar with it, that we have that Clorox bottle that we use for stretches sometimes when we have like upper floor fire. You know, and the idea is that you're not supposed to stretch more than two lines up the interior stairs because it becomes impossible. I mean, if you got three lines up the interior stairs, now you got lines on top of each other. Uh, you can't move them that well. There's, they're getting caught on each other. And, you know, it, it becomes actually a bit of a hazard, you know. And then the stairs are more cluttered because you have more firefighters and, God forbid, we have to retreat. So, it was always my idea to uh, have a, a standardized rope bag, the carabiner that, um, you know, the officer could throw it down and they pull the rope up and then they could stretch from the floor below. And I, I saw it a lot in the 80s in the Bronx. Uh, we had a lot of vacant buildings. So the stairs would be burnt out. The engine companies would go to the floor below, throw the rope out, come up and then come up, you know, whatever remaining stairs were there. So... I've initiated that. I have a, a meeting with the they call the PAC committee in the FDNY, and they're going to look at it. And I've been going to firehouses, been drilling on it and showing, you know, like demoing it, and guys love it. You know, they've been saying, like, why haven't we done this years ago? So that's one of my projects. But the, the other thing I want to talk about tonight with you guys is for, really for the first time. And you have to kind of visualize this because I don't know if your buildings, I'm trying to picture in Boston. But in New York, we have these H-type buildings, right? So they're two tenements side by side attached by a throat in the middle. And the cockloft has what we call like a cockloft vent. And it's almost like an attic vent, you know. And I had this idea. We have something called now the cockloft nozzle, right? So I did a little, I did a little experiment. I went out to the uh, tool room. And I, I got a, I got a uh, cockloft nozzle and I got there, uh, we got the ladder pipe and I attached it and it works. You know, so my thinking is 
if we get a top floor fire, you know, we'll get the tower ladders going to extinguish the fire on the top floor. Why not utilize that space between the roof and the top floor, that cockloft, the vent, and stick that pipe into the vent? Because I saw down, I forget where I was, was it FDIC? Ferrara has some kind of aerial device that has like a, looks like a, a boring machine or something like that. I mean, the idea is you punch it into the wall and then whatever, you know. So that's something I, I want to initiate next. And then I came up and I, I think Boston might have it too. Like this kind of tip that's a bent tip that's good for shafts, you know. So that's something that I'm, I'm looking to initiate. I um, thought that, that that bent tip is kind of like the cockloft nozzle, right? Yeah, but it's bent, right. So, yeah. Like we used to stick them on the, the the rigs when you you know you want to have like a water fountain, right? That's what so, we see. I mean, again, I know the cockloft. Uh, we had a, we would use a um, you know like a cockloft to get it up into the uh, get it like a Bresnan a revolving distributor or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, is yep. that what you what you guys use for Along the- those lines? Uh, yeah. Well, the cockloft nozzle comes from the from the top floor, and you punch it up through the ceiling, and it, it it's got two looks like kind of like you know it shoots in both directions. But I want us to aim it up now. And then they would bounce off the, the undersides of the uh, the roofing and then create like a sprinkler effect. So that's just something I, I want to try to initiate. Um, I also saw when I was up in Boston, we're out at the uh, Moon Island, and uh, they were working with this. Uh, and I don't know if, Eric, if I want to talk to you about this. Are they using the attic spike? Uh, I haven't seen, seen it. You haven't seen it? And um, I haven't seen it used yet, I should say. Because um, – kind of a real specific situation to use it yeah um uh i've seen the brezen nozzle used more i'll be honest with you right right so Um, right so i guess just as a topic now then what i want to talk about as being a chief um as being an incident commander at what point do you start thinking out of the box and start taking a chance if, if things aren't going well and maybe initiate some kind of alternative tactics. Like, you know, we have that cockloft nozzle now. Um, I saw the attic spike. I saw we have four of them in R&D. I'm gonna, I want to break them out because I want to check them out and see what's going on with them. And uh, the idea was that, you know, Tony, I don't know if you know it, but you punch it into the – you go up on the roof, you, you hammer it into the – it's got like a, a point on it, and you yeah, punch yeah. it into the attic. Yeah, we, we had the, the piercing nozzles, what we yeah. would have. And uh, kind of the same thing, right? And it has a spray right. at about two inches from the end. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and yes. I played with all the, I played with a lot of those things in the in the basement fire uh, study that we did with uh, UL and the uh, International Society of Fire Service Instructors. You know, we did some research on that, and and we looked at again cellar nozzles, revolving distributor, um, put it just stuffing a stuffing a nozzle into the hole. And um, and that the the there was more of a piercing, not necessarily a spike. I mean, I guess it's the same thing as a spike. The spike seems like it's much more a smaller diameter. It is, yeah. Than than the piercing nozzle that I'm really used to. All right, All right. So along the lines of what Eric was talking about, one of the last fires I had um, in the field was back in the summer. We had a fire on a one-story taxpayer. And it wasn't going well. We had, you know, threats of collapse and whatnot. And I was in the exposure and it was starting to come over into the exposure on the Bravo side. 
And uh, long story short, I wound up uh, convincing the incident commanders that we could go up on a roof, and he, they were up against. They were kind of against it, but I knew that we, you know, we could get to it because we had knocked down a lot of fire in the store, and we were keeping out of the store. And uh, someone came up with a brilliant idea, and we we worked it. So we we brought up two two and a halfs, and we put the Bresden distributor on it, and we cut a few holes, and we dropped it down. And I'm telling you, man, we put out a boatload of fire. I mean, it was amazing. So, um, you know, I always say about the fire service, and I'll let you guys talk because I've talked already too much, but I think we're only limited by our imagination. You know, if you're the chief, don't be afraid to, if you think of something that's going to work, try it, you know, and, um, you know, that worked out. That, that, that idea came from a firefighter. He's like, chief, why don't we try this? And I was like, yeah, because I think as a chief, you know, you have to be open to suggestions. You can't be like, no, you know, the ideas have to come from me. I'm the boss. No, I listen. If you got a good idea, that was a great idea. Because I tell you what, I never thought of that myself. I did not think of bringing a resident distributor up to the roof and drop it down into the cock loft. But we put on a boatload of fire. And I tell you what, it worked like a charm. I think so, um, I think the real the real issue is um, we, we don't like to try things on the fire ground. Right. Right. Because. Um, Again, we could we could be experimenting with uh, somebody's property. I mean, we're probably not gonna we're probably gonna go to our tried and true if there's lives on the line. But you know, that, I think that's that's the concern is when do you when do you go and let's try it on the fire ground? We want to try it try it in training, and then mm-hmm. have that as a plan B or a C or a D when you go there, right? So I think that's I think that's some of the the. Uh, that's that breakover point is that, you know, well, we've never done it before. I don't know if I want to do it now. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I, I, I know we've held, I've held some things and, and, you know, we had a, we had a fire. It was a hoarding, a hoarding apartment, right. On like the fourth floor. And, um, the, the, one of the, the plans, like plan B was going to be to go into the adjoining apartment and yeah. breach the wall. Right. Um, but that is really, that's really rare. And I can't think of the last time that was done. So, you know, you're hesitant because no one's ever done it. And, and, you know, I think firefighters also don't want to be that guys. Did you hear what they tried last night? It didn't work worth shit, you know, and they're worried about that too. But, um, yeah, if it, I think that's, that's some of the concerns I know I've grown up with. Well, Tony, that what you just said, I did that. So that particular fire was going sideways and it, it was just getting worse and worse. And I got there and um, I went around the, the Charlie side and I grabbed an engine company, a truck company. I said, I want you to go to the firewall and um, see if we got any extension. And that, I, that's all I wanted them to do. I didn't want them to do anything else. I just wanted them to, with the protection of the hose line, go down this hallway, 20 feet, make a left, go another 20 feet, get to the, the partition wall. It wasn't a fire, really a firewall. And I want to see if the fire is, is starting to come across, you know. And there was like heavy fire in the, in the fire store and the wall was starting to lean. But we're on the other side of this now. So I, I felt like it was kind of safe, you know, and they had the line. So they were protected. So if anything happened and what these guys did, they took it upon themselves. They breached the wall. They put the whole fire out in the fire, in the fire store. They put the whole thing out with the two and a half. And then we brought another line in, we put more fire out. 
And then that's when we started going up on the roof and then we started putting out the fire in a cock roof. So um, yes and no, I, I do agree with you that sometimes it's a place to experiment, but if you're losing the battle, you know, like I, I've been to fires, man, like, you know, we, we have like four towel lighters going and they're not hitting the fire. I mean, it's just like, you know, the, it's not working. So, I mean, then, you know, what do you do? You wait until it just gets the firewall and then burns through the roof and then that's it. And then you, I don't know. Eric, what do you think? What's your, what's your uh, opinion on this whole thing? Um, I think as time's gone on, in the beginning, I would say uh, my ego got the best of me at times. I think the longer that uh, I'm on, uh, the more I learn, the more open I am to some valid suggestions. Um, I personally myself now I'll try anything if it sounds um, doable. But I, I will be honest and say in the beginning, you know, because of the lack of uh, confidence or experience, I was kind of like, nope, one way only. Um, I know the best way. But I think as time goes on, uh, Brezen nozzle, the Pearson nozzle, we just haven't had the opportunity. Like I haven't had an attic or cockloft fire in a while. And not that I pray for fire, but if we were to have one tomorrow, because I want to try it. Um, and I, I think for me personally, the longer that time goes on, the more that I am willing to try new things and, and give the uh, members a lot more leeway. You know, um, just, you know, let me know. And, and um, but if you got a suggestion, you don't, I don't, want uh, people under me to be afraid to say anything. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Right. Well, one of the things um, that came out, one of the things that came out of the UL study was that one of the little videos they have is that if you put water in the right spot, you don't need a lot. Right. And I know that firsthand. I used to carry the can, two and a half gallons of water, crawl down a hallway, get to the bedroom, mattress, dresser, whatever chair, whatever, give it a shot, knock it down, close the door, you know, and that was two and a half gallons of water, right? What we saw when we did the testing out at Governor's Island, right? And again, this is something new. So there was a lot of pushback. Oh, you, this ain't going to work. Blah, blah. They tried that, what we call the floor below nozzle, right? So it's, it looks like almost like a hook to it, you know, and wind driven fire, right? The wind is blowing in, the blow torching into the hallway. Now you look at the videos, they set up cameras, in the kitchen, in the living room, the heat index, they got the whole thing. And then before before the line is opened up, temperatures are through the roof, it flashes, the doors open. Then they put the, you know, they open the nozzle, just, you know, two and a half with a, whatever, not, not much water maybe, you know. And the next thing you know, bang, it's out. Just a little bit of water in that room knocks the tar out. So... You know, it, it just, uh, I think if you put the water in the right spot, you know what I mean? Instead of just like, you know, you've seen it how many times, you know, firefighters are opening the line and they're, they're hitting everything but the fire, right? You know, but if you get that water into the seat of that fire, those GPMs are going to knock down those BTUs. That's how I see it. I don't know. What do you think, Tone? 
No, I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think, uh, you know, and, and that's where um, I, I think I took it for granted, right? That because every fire I went to, the water that we had, we brought with us, kind of put it out. Now we were um, we were kind of kind of crazy. We would have you know four hand lines in a fire in a fire room um, from four different fire trucks and um, had plenty of water. So that was never really an issue, right? But um, I think as 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 time went on, like you said, Eric, as time's gone on, and you and you kind of evaluate what you did, you realize that most of these fires were one line fires, right? Most of the majority of the fires we go to are one line fires, and we can probably put it out with a tank of water. I mean, get get even get final extinguishment with that. And that that made me realize, especially now now where I am now, right where where uh, water is a premium here, and we have to we have to bring the water with us. But um, knowing knowing what to do with that, you know, we've talked about that before, right? With uh, exterior water and how you can get your the a bang for your buck if you use it correctly. That um, water is so effective, and it doesn't take a lot of water to put it out. At least, at least maybe, you know, at least give you a knockback so you can get inside there and get the water on the flaming surfaces. Yeah. I, I think, Tony, like with that exterior water, I think there's more to it than just the actual functionality of it. I think there is a bit of bravado and a little, you know, like, well, we're interior firefighters, you know. and But if you look at it from a real pragmatic sense, it, it works like hell. Like I, I taught these guys in Ecuador. I was down there in October and we did a, really the crux of the class was, uh, you know, because they have such a minimum, they show up with sometimes with three firefighters, right? And I taught them, you know, the four S's, right? You know, the sprinkler effect and straight stream and smooth bore and steep angles, you know? And um, I taught them that for the whole week. And man, oh man, I'm telling you, not more than a, Less than a week later, I get a video from one of those guys fires out like three windows in a three-story. And there's your man with the line doing exactly what I taught him and knocked the, the tar out of it. So, but they, that, see, in Ecuador, that's necessity for them because they show up with three firefighters. They, they don't have 15 or 16 firefighters showing up. They have three guys. That's it. So they have to... And I tell you what, man, they loved it. They were, you know, and it, it, it's done in, I think it's done in an aggressive way, if that makes sense. I mean, even oh, though it's, it's, it's an offensive fire attack. It's an offensive, right. That's what I meant no, to say. It's, it's not, it's a not going offensive. It just might yeah. start on the side. It might start out front, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eric, have you ever considered using exterior water in a, in a fire, like let's say a basement fire or you know, you get a brownstone. Yeah, I've done it. Um, I think, I think, um, like we we kind of touched upon before. I think it's always been a um, viable tactic. It's just we never called it anything, um, especially like a basement. If there's a basement, um, the last time I had a basement fire, the windows are bricked up. When a one of our big bulls, like two swings with a sledgehammer was enough to stick a line in so that now the engine on the interior could come down the stairs. And I, 
I guess it's more the term than anything. But as far as I can remember, like, you know, because, you know, we get a lot of the porches. And that first line, you knock it down. And maybe if it got inside the entryway, we just never called it anything. And I think um, the uh, naming of it and, and how some people jump on it and act like it's the only thing. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Because even myself, I find myself arguing with people. But I think we agreed more than we disagreed. It's just terminology. So I personally, like um, basements, uh, I would never go below grade without a charge line, period. Doesn't matter, even if it's just a, a slight odor of smoke. I, I think uh, quick. The first time I ever saw a guy cut, you know, a hole in the first floor to vent the basement, which helped the engine. I wish we had, I shouldn't say that because you didn't, but sometimes I wish we had the opportunity to um, perform that more or maybe do it in a training scenario to where you could tape it and show, say, newer people as time goes on and, you know, as the fires keep decreasing. Because there's certain things that are going by the wayside that, like, you know, as a chief officer, you might be out front and you're like, what the f are they doing? Because you assumed they learned something that maybe you did. And it, I don't know. It's kind of, um, I try to keep my mindset open now. and I, But I also believe, I, you know, give them five, ten minutes with water, see what happens. Now, I, I get what you're saying, Eric. Sometimes you think, well, if I know it, they must know it. I do that all the time. I assume everything. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I assume, I, I yeah, think I it's know. a white helmet. Yeah. It's a flawed white helmet sometimes. Yeah. I remember doing that in Brownstones, Eric. We We would have a fire, you know, in that first floor, right? Basement, actually. And then there's a cellar below it and, uh, you know, cut a hole with usually with the ax actually. And then right by the window, you know, and then, you know, because getting down those stairs were not easy. You know? so. I think I told you uh, when I sparked once with, uh, I think it was engine 36. Uh -huh. it, was, it was something like that, but I was outside. So uh, I didn't get to see inside, but um, in fact, uh, supposed to be doing like what we call fire college once a year. The officers have to go to headquarters for a day. And they're really concerned about these new like type five A's. But after tomorrow, when I leave the firehouse tomorrow, it'll be more like brownstones because um, up here that with gentrification, um, we don't get them. We don't get too many fires anymore, but they are all over the city. It's just more in some areas, and I think we get really rusty. Um, like you just said on that, like when you say basement, and ninety percent of them here, it, they're open up to a garden level in the back, and they're only below grade up front. And and I remember when I was a captain in the area, there was another lieutenant. He was really fast out the door. But he would always tell me that, oh, you go ahead. You 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 could get there first because I'll just go in the back, 
second duel. And while you're screwing around with the doors, I'll be putting the fire out. And it's kind of <laughs> true. But. It's true. Yeah, I know. I know. I, that's what I like about Boston. You have those alleys, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, from a firefighting perspective, I mean, that's wow. I mean, well, you have two options. We, we had the same thing in, in, in DC. That was, our, that was our our guidelines: say first engine to the front, second engine to the rear. Yeah. We didn't have regardless, that, yeah. regardless of the building, whether it's a a one story bungalow, two story, you know, two up, two down. A uh, five-story apartment or a thirteen-story apartment. Uh, first engine to the front, second engine to the rear. Third engine picks up the first dude's line. Fourth dude picks up the second dude's line. And it really was kind of born out of um, you know we had we had some back again years and years and years ago when when people were doing their own thing. There was a, a battalion that had a lot of those kinds of basements with the walkouts, and they took it upon themselves to make their own SOGs there in their battalion, like first engine to the front, second engine to the rear. And then it kind of, right, caught on everywhere. So our basement fires, that second do engine is really fire attack, right? And that first do engine, it's written, the first do engine is supposed to go upstairs and keep it from coming up the steps. Now, you know, again, we kind of learned that that's, that's put your, don't put yourself in a bad position, right? Don't put yourself at the top of those basement steps, but, you know, put yourself in a position that, that if you're protecting the crews that are going above. Right. Um, Mm. So it was, it was very, it's very effective, right? It's very effective, especially on those basement fires. But that's some serious coordination. Like in New York for that to happen, you know, we wouldn't get the rig back there, but we, we could get a a line back there because we have plenty like in Queens and Brooklyn, we have these like kind of alleyways in the back, with like, you know, uh, three stories in the back, two in the front. And that would work tremendously. But, you know, it's not really in our, you know, wheelhouse, like, you know. So, um, yeah, that would be um, that would be a whole shift, a whole paradigm shift, you know, for us. Yeah, I find it. Um, I don't see too many alleys in the Bronx. No, we don't really it's, have many. It's like... Well, Trying to think of the neighborhood. I don't think I ever seen any. Um, that's crazy. Maybe some of the like not not in the South Bronx, but maybe on the north or the or the East Bronx, mm-hmm. you might have some of that stuff in private dwellings, but definitely not where I work because all tenements, you know, in projects and brownstones, you know. But uh, but you even know, like in that uh, downtown with the with all the with all the the commercial and stuff, it seemed like. I guess maybe, you know, you see the trash trucks kind of running in alleys, at least in Manhattan or something, right? Right. But you don't have a whole lot of single-family dwellings there. Not in Manhattan, no. Not at all. Very, very, very few. There's a few here and there, but um, they're very – I guess because real estate was just so valuable and Manhattan was so small that they just didn't have that, you know, that luxury. But I know down down up in Boston there in that – was that Beacon section, right, off the the water? You got a lot of those alleyways, which is really cool, and that would be that would be a whole shift, you know, to to really just um, coordinate that. Like, hey, listen, I'll tell you something minute. else. Yeah. Um, before gentrification, a lot of them had uh, hydrants. Oh, really? Okay. That, yeah, the, makes the hydrants sense. were taken out to allow parking. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Go figure. Story. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think a big thing is, is um, I think is like as chief officer, like if the group tonight has a fire, I definitely try to go in tomorrow and, and maybe try to have the companies under me swing by even for like 20 minutes. Right. If we can get there before they board it up, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is becoming few and far between, but I always like to like go by just to try to see if, um, you know, the burn pattern, ask the guys the table, Hey, what worked and what didn't work? Cause it's funny right around. So I'm in three decker land, but literally about two minutes away is a whole block of brownstones. Um, with somewhat of an alley that an engine could get by. So, I mean, no, I haven't had a fire yet on that block, but I always think about it because it's totally unlike the rest of the district. So some of the members whose whole careers have been in that area, you kind of wonder, like, I don't know if they realize how hot brownstone fires can get or how difficult trying to get in the basement. Um, personally, I saw, like I was always taught, if it's below grade, it was big line only. I mean, you mean like obviously a that's... You stretch a... Oh, you yeah. stretch a really? If you're coming but from I the think, back, maybe, not from the front, you never get that thing down the stairs. Um, I think that goes back to, like the guys who taught me, it was the big line or a booster line. It was really... <laughs> Like the inch and three quarter came about not too long before I came on. It's really not that old for us. Hmm. Um, but I remember I was told to always grab the big line. And at the time, I I hated it. I was like 150 pounds. The second you charged it, it wasn't going anywhere, you know. <laughs> but, no. Yeah, I just think um, I find brownstone very interesting in, in all kinds of buildings. In fact, I took a bunch, last time I was in D.C., I took a bunch of pictures. I couldn't get inside, but I noticed a lot of them getting done over. Um, yeah. I don't know the section's called, but it was like a five-minute, we stayed near Georgetown, and it was five minutes from there, and every year we go, it looks nicer and nicer. Yeah, I don't know how yeah, to describe yeah, it, but... Yeah. No, and that area, right? Because they got so much money. Like we had a fire. We had a fire. I was a safety officer. We had a fire in a uh, three-story, and I guess it would be a, a brownstone for you guys. Yeah, but yeah. And, up, and then it was three-story row house, right? It was an end of the row, and um, this place had been renovated. And and you know how those in the era when they were built. It was very compartmentalized, right? You had a dining room, you had a kitchen, you had a living room. They were all pretty well compartmentalized. Well, these people came in there and they made they made a great room, which was open from the first floor to the roof. And they had skylights up there. And then they had like a like a like a banished, like a uh, like almost like a balcony kind of thing went into the bedrooms. And the fire started on the first floor and uh, going pretty good. The people that were on the third floor, they opened up the door and it, it killed them, right? Because the the fire came in and it, it killed it killed uh, uh, like a, a boyfriend girlfriend, and then the guy on the second floor he touched the knob, he didn't open it. He touched the knob, it was hot. He jumps out the back window, but right? I mean, so 
That's a totally different fire than a, than the original building. The original building, it would have been, right, tank water, one line, compartmentalized, maybe a 12 by 15 room at the most. Now it's, you know, all kinds of fire gases in there. And it, and it, it showed the, the difference, right? Now, again, we're not big lines. We don't do big lines. Um, and I would say we, we, you know, our fire trucks have a two and a half on them, but they don't have a nozzle on them. They would typically be used to extend, right, to get us a long line. Uh, perhaps if it's a two, if it's a big fire, you might pull out a nozzle and put it, put it and make it, um, you know, a, a tack line, but it's pretty rare. In fact, I, I would think that, uh, I can count on, on, on one hand, how many times it's been pulled in the last, you know, 10 years, probably. Is that, is that in DC, Tony, or where you are now? No, DC. So, you know, one of the criteria we use in New York city, right. And an acronym that I, I don't know if I made it up, but it, it's, it was, when we use the two and a half is Dallas, D-A-L-U-S. And if it's defensive, if it's an advanced fire, um, large air fire, unknown or size undetermined, you know, like that's when we use a two and a half or a standpipe. And the idea being is that, and I always tell people, you know, when I do classes and stuff, when we use the two and a half, what dictates the use of it is not the amount of fire, but the size of the building. So if we have a one-story commercial and you might turn around and say, okay, well, it's Nicholas worth the fire. Yeah, that's maybe when they go and find it, but who knows what happens two minutes later, you lose water, whatever. Now, now you have like a whatever. So that's what kind of dictates our use for two and a half. But the old timers in 60 engine, I remember talking to two of the old timers, you know, they came on during the war years, you know, they were there and they didn't have masks, they didn't have air packs. So they said that because in the South Bronx where I was, we had these, what we call railroad flats, right? So you just come in and it's like this long hallway, right? It's just a straight run, like railroad cars, you know? And they said they used a two and a half, but they could get away with it because there weren't so many, it was a straight up the stairs and then straight down the hallway. And that's why they were able to get, you know, with the two and a half. But when you look at the two and a half, as opposed to the inch and three quarter, 250 gallons a minute versus 100 and let's say 80 gallons a minute, what you're picking up with the inch and three quarters is the speed and the mobility as opposed to the two and a half, which is like, I mean, I, I got stuck one time with a two and a half because we were doing something outside. And the next thing to achieve was like, all right, get that line in the building. And it was like, you know, trying to move an anaconda snake, you know, in a, in a small room, it just didn't work, you know? So I think that's what you have to, you kind of have to weigh, you know? Um, yeah. I think construction has a lot to do with it. We're pretty much down to if, Let's say you have multiple rear porches going. You might you want to use one just to stop it from spreading. But I, I believe like these young people now, they're all in shape. The equipment's better. So I have modified my views. But I like I said, when I that's what I was taught when I came on. Was if you weren't first, bring the big line, commercial. I mean, a taxpayer two in the morning going, yeah, maybe. I think yeah, you got to almost wait sometimes till you get there. Um, we're pretty fortunate that barring something crazy, 
I probably could make every part of my district in under 15 minutes, maybe even 10 minutes. I think, um, but then I trust the officers to make the right decision. Um, in fact, I, we're testing two inch holes right now, certain engines. Um, so I, again, I think now, if you had asked me that question 20 years ago, I would have told you big line only. Hmm. Uh, or you'll be or you'll be getting to know ground ladders very intimately, you know. <laughs> but I believe you have to evolve over time. So Yeah. I think I think for us it's just pretty much cut and dry. If it's a taxpayer or commercial, we 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 stretch two and a half. And if you don't, and I, I saw it once, I was uh I was a captain and we responded to another borough and I remember pulling up and it was a, it was a taxpayer. It was a uh, supermarket and they stretch an inch and three quarter. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. I mean, that would not fly where I work in the Bronx. But I think, I think we're pretty good in New York with that. I think we're pretty programmed to like, if we have a commercial or a, a taxpayer or a standpipe, it's two and a half. There's just no questions asked, you know, but can you get away with inch and three quarter? You know, you could, I guess. Um, but what if something goes wrong? I don't know. Well, I know. I know the argument could be, well, if if one inch and three quarters is not getting it, then I can quickly stretch a second inch and three quarter, right? And But they're not the same, right? Two inch and three quarters doesn't do the same firefight as one, two and a half or one big line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, too, it's hard because um, – you feel like if you run the big line, once you charge it, then you're out of the game after that. Um, but one thing I would notice, and when I was junior guy, it was like like my job. But once I got to the point where they didn't think you need it, you run out, get 50 feet, just break it down, add it to it. That used to be done. That was done so often. It was like you didn't think about it. And I think that's a skill that we have gotten a little late, not lazy, but uh, lack of uh, repetition. Because sometimes I'm like, it's real easy for one person to run back and get 50 feet of the little line, break it down, um, screw it on, whatever works. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I'm curious, I just... I saw a video where they were using, I want to say, an in, a one-inch line, and this place was sailing. And I was kind of like, uh, it's going to be a parking lot in a couple hours. But I do believe that if you can, um, and, and then you know your crew. You know, I, I don't, like, maybe once a year we could work in a different district, different group. Um, whenever I do get it, which is, like I said, isn't often, I'm now going to a part of the city where I really don't know anybody. Um, there's a good chance I might not be familiar with that area at all. And I, I think all the time when I'm out there, I'm like, Hey, I don't know these people. <laughs> would I be as, um, I would probably be a little more cautious when it came to line selection not knowing who you got. 
it would sort of be like, then it would be like you get in a car and say you're in, um, I don't know, what is that, Staten Island, Battalion 21 or 22? It's two, 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 three, yeah. Yeah, you go there and you're like, hey, I don't know any of these people, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know their skill level or anything, and you'd probably be a little more cautious. Um, I got a I got a good story. I have a good story, but I don't know if I want to repeat it right now. But it was very early in my my chief days, and uh, all I could all I could say is that um, just go with your gut, because I'm glad I did <laughs> put it that way. But um, I tell you the story. I tell you offline in private, but uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody. Um, you know, I want to circle back real quick to the whole brownstone thing we were talking about. Um, there was a big shift in New York. I, I think it was in the I, I, maybe early 90s where um, – no, I can't remember now. Gosh, I wish I could remember when it was. But we were like our SOPs and Brownstones was the first engine takes that line and brings it up the stairs, the fires in the basement or the cellar in the basement to protect – you know, brings it to the parlor floor and then protects the interior stairs. And then the second line would come in under it and they would put the fire out, you know. And what happened was in a certain battalion, uh, guys would want to be cute because they want to have both. They want it both ways. The first do, they want to put the fire out. The second do, they, they want to put the fire out because that's the, the SOPs. And uh, one of the chiefs there just put a stop to it. You know, he's just like, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was problematic, but... I think we've changed now. Uh, it was a lot to do with the UL studies where they said it's better to get that quick water on the fire, you know, instead of worrying about protecting those stairs, you know. And we switched. And now, the you know, the first in engine in a brownstone, they get the fire now. It's um, – um, there's no difference, you know. So I think that's what you were talking about, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, that, that, was, that was what we would do, right, is the first line – First line goes in the front door and then yeah. the second, because again, because we were so set up for first to the front, second to the rear. Yeah. I like that. I really do. I, I mean, that's amazing. And you, know, have that. again, I know, you know, I want to take it down the throat. Well, it's not very safe. Right. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's an option now. It's an option. If, if, uh, if that first company gets there and, um, they can make it around to the back, you know, before the second company gets there. But there's no, it's very rare to have a, that kind of a delay that you're not going to have a company there. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a good SOG. It's a good guideline. Unfortunately, I think they use it, they use it on every building, which kind of, then you fight every fire the same way. But Tony, the only thing I'm going to say, I'm going to play devil's advocate, what I don't like about that system and I've, I can tell you only because I've seen it firsthand a bunch of times, is my philosophy was when I stretch a first line stretches a hose, you know, they go in. And, you know, I know now we have to team up. So the second engine has to help them. So the third engine, but we're close enough that, you know, it's it's pretty pretty quick. But I like that third, no matter what, I like to have a second line stretched. And I'll tell you because I've seen so many times, like we had a fire one time, I think it was a brownstone and uh, the first engine went in. I was in a truck and we were trying to go above and uh, the first engine went in and somehow the fire 
wrapped around and came out back, came back around the front. And now, now the, the engines got fired behind them and in front of them, you know, and that second engine being there is kind of protection for like burst lengths or short stretch or unhidden fire or extension or whatever, you know, so I'm not just, and that's, we would cover all those bases, right? We get, we're sending five engines on a, on a house fire or on a fire. Right. Right. So, and again, with that, with the third do engine, we'll pick up the first do's supply line. Okay. And then that third do engine is in the front, right? So they could be, they could back up the first do. They could maybe take a line to the floor above. Uh, so mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty uh, versatile. And if the fire's knocked down in the basement, maybe that third dude goes to the exposure building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, you know, there's those options, but it's, it's kind of set up, right? The guidelines are such that first and third and the first dude truck go to the front, second, mm-hmm. fourth, and second dude truck go to the rear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that can't work. It can't work in every building in D.C. It's, it can only work I, if you have I a rear out. I agree, but – and that, that kind of goes back to um, one, one thing. Again, I, I hate to, to shamelessly plug my, my podcast, but I'm doing a Mayday Monday. This Mayday Monday for this month, this Mayday Monday for this month is talking about commercial building fires. And, you know, so many times – so many times, because we go to so many more residential fires than we do commercial building fires, we got we got fire companies out there fighting the commercial building fire using residential tactics. You guys, you guys sound like you got a pretty good handle on that, right? If it's a commercial building, you're supposed to pull a two and a half, right? You're supposed to. So other places, right, where they where they maybe they don't have those kinds of guidelines, they may make it up as they go along. So what do they typically, what do we default to? What we do very well. And we do very well stretching inch and three quarters, stretching inch and a half. We do that very well because we do it so often. Well, if you go to a building fire, if you go to a commercial building fire and you're thinking, just put, we'll get it with the inch and three quarter. And now you get inside and it overtakes you. Right. So those are the times we get into trouble. And um, that, that, that's, that's the, that's the subject of this month's Mayday Monday, kind of builds into what we're talking about here, right? Um, the guidelines are there. The guidelines are built there, are built not, not to make you, like, not get to put the fire out, right? They're there because of the experience and things that have happened in Boston and things that have happened in New York, things that have happened in other places. And they say, hey, look, typically we want to stretch a big line. And, and we, we, again, I grew up, it was big, big fire, big line, little fire, little, little line. So it can yeah. be that that simple, but we have to be disciplined to do that. Right. FDNY, you know, if you don't pull right. a two and a half, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, no, I, and rightfully so. But, you know, it's funny you should say that because in my district, it's half, you know, it was, it was half uh, residential and half commercial. And behind us was a lot of uh, factories, you know, like six-story heavy timber. And, um, you know, they... In New York, we put a lot of things in boxes. You know, we have a, a private dwellings bulletin. We have row frames and brownstones. We have high-rise projects. Then we have multiple dwellings, tenements, you know. And then they wrote a loft bulletin, and it was a bit of a hybrid because depending on what kind of loft it was, do we use tactics in a 
that we use in a high rise or, you know, it, it was very ambiguous. It was very, it was a very tough bulletin to follow. But one of the things I tried to impart on the guys in my battalion, I spoke with the captains and you nailed it when you said it, Tony. You said that we try sometimes to use residential tactics in commercial buildings. Now, these are extremely low frequency events. I mean, I was down there 15 years and I can count on one hand how many times I've had any like serious commercial building fires. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of institute is, you know, like, let's start thinking a little bit differently. Like, you know, like with the truck positions, you know, like let's think more along the lines of a high rise than like sending an OV by himself, a roof firefighter by himself. You know, let's maybe, yeah, maybe we need to get a search rope. Like I, Eric, I think of uh, Worcester, you know, like Worcester, we have tons of buildings like that in the Bronx. Like I had a cold storage fire down near Yankee Stadium um, back in the early, eight, you know, in the 80s. And uh, man, you talk about Worcester, that's, that's Worcester. I mean, that big open shaft in the middle, elevator shaft and corking, you know, and heavy fire. So you, like Tony said, you cannot use uh, residential firefighting tactics in a building like that. You have to like take a step back and say, okay, whoa, immediate second alarm, if not more, you know, well, especially also, I mean, yeah. I mean, what's the risk, right? The mm -hmm. risk is, like you said, they're low frequency events. We low don't frequency. do them very often. No. So the other risk, the other, the other, the other risk that we want to weigh is, I don't, I don't. There's been very few fire, people, civilians, that have died in commercial building fires. I know there was one. If you go back to Charleston, right? Charleston Nine, the the fire that killed those nine firefighters. There was, there was a, an employee trapped in that. Right. Yes. They got him out pretty quick though. They got him out pretty yeah, early. Reached the um, wall, I think. Yeah. There was recently, there was a fire uh, that killed, killed um, like the, the manager of the, of the commercial building because they had made, they had made a place, a living quarters inside. It wasn't code. It wasn't supposed to be there. Right. But you know, a guy works late. He wants to spend the night there. Um, they, they made that. And so that's, that's, that's how f infrequent civilians die in commercial buildings. Yeah. And, and I know, I, you know, yeah. you know, no buildings empty until we say it's empty, but we need to take that into account when we go to these places and, yeah. and, you know, gauge yeah. the risk accordingly. Right. And I think this is a different fire. So you should use different tactics. Right. Could you imagine my shock? I'll tell you a, a quick fire story. It was a few years ago, and we had um, – it came in initially as a recorded alarm, like a class three, we call them, in a big, big supermarket, like a kind of one of those like Costco-type things almost. And uh, I guess the first companies got there, and they just said, that's nah, you know, it's a faulty alarm, and it was all locked up nice and tight, you know, so – I took it at face value. I gave a, you know, because I was out of my district. I was coming back from another box on the other side of the area. So I, I got on a radio. I'm like, all right, go with the 18. And, you know, I'm with 10 8. You know, I never got to the box. So about 10 minutes later, it comes in again as a phone alarm. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so sure enough, I pull up and I come off the Brooklyn Boulevard and I make a right. And you can see, man, it was a good smoke condition in the store. And I see three faces in the glass, like 
all I could see is their faces and the hands banging. And they were locked in. The owner had locked them in because they're, you know, they're worried about theft or whatever, you know. And um, I went there the next day. I have to tell you, I was not very happy with the, the owners of that store, man. But, um, you know, it was, it was a fire in the back. It was like the kitchen. You know, they had lit up a bunch of – it was like a storage area and a kitchen or whatever. It was, you know, like a room of fire. You know, wow. Didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know something I find too now? Um, and I'm sure it's everywhere. If they can turn a space into a livable area, you will find something like that, like a employee, a manager living in the back of the store in the basement. Yes. Above the store. Um, and I feel like obviously life safety, but there is a point in time like, um, With, as the chief, you know, you have to be like, hey, we we, we gave our best shot. But at this point, um, like, you know, when you're getting reports, like I can think of one fire where the, the fire alarm kept saying people trapped. And when I turned the corner, I'm like, and they keep, they keep calling everyone. And I really wanted to say every window is blowing fire. <laughs> right. If yeah. they're in there. Toast. You yeah. know, God rest his soul. Right. And, and um, I find like, um, but those older commercial, we don't, most of ours have been done over. I have like an artist block though in my district that I recently had. a. It wasn't a fire. It was like a water leak or something. Mm-hmm. And I, you just look at the way they chop up these buildings and the amount of people that are living in there. Yeah. And you're like, mm. and, and um, gee, I got to play nice here, but um, <laughs> when the building department says it's okay, I yeah. always say, okay, well, what's your what's your name, sir? So I, for my report, yeah, because they're allowing a lot of stuff that they really shouldn't. But, yeah, but the yeah. narrative of um, housing crisis is is like um, being yeah. pushed so much. That I don't understand the, the I don't understand why the, no one's thinking from a firefighter perspective or a safety aspect. Yeah. So that's my thing now is oh it's okay well what's your name let me write that down you know yeah, yeah. we screenshot your license or something. Yeah. I remember those when I was buildings there scare me. I remember when I was a kid you know we were in high school or college whatever you know we'd go out at like four o'clock in the morning the bars would close. And it was a candy store in the corner. It was a two-story. And the, the couple there was an old Jewish couple, you know. And uh, they didn't let it be known, but they were living in there, you know. So they had window, they had the roll-down gates. So we'd come by, start banging on the, the, on, the on the gates at like four. And then he, Louis would come out with the dogs and... Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> so you never know, like, who, who's living in these places, you know. So Oh, I know. I was in, when I was the chief in uh, training... Yeah. Right, I was a battalion chief there, and and you'd work late, and then you'd go, you'd go meet some guys in town for for a, a dinner. I'm not going to drive back home, right? No. I, I got a cot, I got a cot that I put in my office, sleep right. there for the night. It was it was great, right? Because you didn't have to fight traffic, right? But, yeah, I mean, this happens, and especially um, 
you know, as, as we get to, as we get free of COVID and, and offices start back up again, mm. never know what's going, who's saying in them, but yeah. we still have to temper that. Right. We got to like somehow again, right. That scale weigh that scale thing. And the, mm. if there's fire blown out of every window, Hey guys do the best you can. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. I know, I know we have to kind of hold back sometimes on these things. <laughs> we have to be politically. Yeah, really, it's it's. Um, we need an unedited last, version. We need the, yes, the behind um, the scenes version. Talk freely. Yeah, yeah but I, I tell you, I really think um, if if um, you know some things are written in stone, you yeah. don't get water. But how you get it, you should be flexible. Like I used to believe in just always. Hydrant to fire, stretch. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have changed as time goes on. Like when I was a company officer, I always dumped in. I dropped a half valve. I didn't care. Mm. Screw it. We'll make it up. Now I'm a little mm. equipment's better. Three or four engines are so much uh, come around the same time, and they work together to get water. And these pumps are so good now that, you know, one pump can run four or five oh, lines, no problem. Ten four. Makes a difference. Yeah. So anyway, I think we're just about at, I can't believe it's an hour already. We could probably sit here all night, but we want to make people's ears bleed. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess any, any closing thoughts we're we're coming up to the end of the hour. So, um, hey, you know, we didn't get into like, like, Maybe we should think about that between now and next time. Is like, when do you decide to use that cellar nozzle, right? Right. And and, and how do you do it, right? Because are you going to yep. stay there over top of the fire? Because you want to mm. get water on the flaming on the flaming surfaces, right? Ten four. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to go over top of that fire and cut a hole? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of crazy. So, I mean, let's, maybe we could, you could think about that and we can discuss yeah. that or something. Yeah. The, the, the beauty of what I want to propose with the FDNY is this, this pipe that I have, it's about seven feet and you could stick it on the ladder pipe and you could jam it in. And then you have this seven foot cushion, you know, and uh, that, that area of safety, you know, so um, yeah, so uh, it sucks not being in the firehouse. Uh, you know, it's like uh, someone told me I was talking about this the other day, and it's like uh, the five stages of death, you know, like uh, denial <laughs> and grieving, you know. You know, we think that we're going to spend our whole life in a firehouse, and then it's all of a sudden you get smacked in the face, and it's like, you know, it's over. And it's it sucks, man. It's a real grieving process, you know. And I, I could tell you um, when I was a probie, when I was a probie, I walked into the kitchen and the chief who I very much respected and a guy who I actually tried to be like when I became a chief. And uh, he pushes me up against the wall. I mean, I, I, I'm on the job 10 minutes. I'm like 24 years old. And he looks at me and he says to me, he says, kid, it's easier to leave your wife than it is to leave the fire department. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, I had no idea. And here it is. 38 years later and I'm like 60, maybe 63. And I'm like, it's going to end. <laughs> so I know a guy, I have to tell, you know, tell a story about this guy. He came into the office 
and uh, he wanted to take a break. He, he, he went on medical leave and I said, be careful. I said, if you take a break, you might go down to headquarters. And the medical officer are going to yank you. You know, you might not come back. No worry. I'll be back. He never came back. And I have to tell you, he took it very hard. He went through some really serious depression and it's a real deal. This job it becomes part of your DNA, you know, and, uh, Time to let go. Sorry? It's hard to let go. Really? I mean, it becomes part of you. You know, like, that's my whole life. I've been at this, God, since I'm, you know, between working out for the test, you know, since I was like 21. And uh, forty over 40 years, and I have to tell you. I mean, I used to read magazines when I was in high school. Fire, you know, I used to watch. I used to watch with the New York Firefighters when I was in high school. <laughs> it was the old black on uh, channel 31. What's that? I'm on my second job. I know. Second job, yeah, yeah. It's hard to let go. I don't think they'll love me back to because of my issues with my breathing. But anyways, listen, it's always been a pleasure. I love you guys, man. Uh, thank you again for, for doing this. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com.